0: If you're someone who has a passion for cut flowers, our environment and wants to make the world more beautiful, you're in the right place. Whether you're growing flowers for pleasure or profit, I'm on a mission to empower flower enthusiasts and professionals to help change the world around them. Whether you're just starting out and needing a helping hand or are looking to scale a substantial flower business, I'm your Cut Flower Woman. Welcome to the Cut Flower Podcast. So welcome Sissy, it is an absolute honour. I've been following you for a while and I'd love to introduce you to our audience today. I've followed what you've done and we don't live that far away from each other and it's madness that we haven't actually met in person but we're going to put that to rights. So tell us about your journey and how you came to where you are today, about the work you do looking at um, researching you before this um, podcast I know you have an unconventional career which is quite exciting so and I love that so do tell us about what you do where you came from and why unconventional
1: um yeah hi thanks for having me it's really it's really exciting to be on here um and yeah I think I'm just quite an unconventional person really perhaps um and I I never sort of um went into my life with with much of a, a plan um, but I was also that really dutiful daughter that like, you know, went to school, came from like a good family, and you go to school and you get good grades, and then you go and get a degree and you get good grades and then you go and get a good job. And so I was very much on that, you know, classic trajectory. And um I was also, I suppose, I was always just a bit like up for something slightly different as well. So when I went to like start university or work out what I wanted to do for university, I decided to do Chinese, which at the time was was mad I mean people were li- I mean nowadays people are like oh right yeah smart but at that time people just literally like why <laughs> you want to be a Buddhist monk I mean honestly people couldn't comprehend why I wanted to do it and um and why did I want to do it well it's just a bit different really wasn't it you know got to go and spend my gap year my gap year not my gap my second year of like studying um as a student in China and I was like how cool is that and um but I had a backup I was always I guess I've always been a little bit strategic I thought well I'll do it with economics and then because I liked economics, so if I didn't like the Chinese, then I'll drop that and I'll just do economics. And anyway, I absolutely, I loved the Chinese. I loved it. I, 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 my mum's Swedish, so we grew up speaking a second language anyway. Um, so perhaps that made it easier for me to, to attack a new language. I don't know. But I loved it. I loved living in China. I spent a year there as part of my degree. And then, yeah, I sort of finished. didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to go to China. So I just went at 25. Um, I did a, you know, I did a master's carried it on round going, no, I don't know what I want to do before that. And then I was like, just go to China, get a job. grab <laughs> up basically. So I did. So I went over there and I worked for this really cool, um, small um strategic consulting business which had been set up by another super hardcore woman who'd gone to China on the fourth on the tenth of June nineteen eighty nine. So it was quite a contentious time to be in China and um had ended up staying, even though the business that she'd gone over hadn't quite wanted to carry on being there she'd been there for years she knew everything she knew the lay of land and um, we helped small international businesses not no actually no we helped big international businesses go into china and um and um understand how to operate in china understand government relations understand like kind of strategic imperatives of working in china and a lot of that automatically meant that you had to be aligned with sustainability challenges so I kind of got into the sustainability side of businesses quite early doors and understood quite early on. It just made really good sense to me that if you just ran your business well, you just you, it was a good thing. You could run a business in the right way and make money. And, and that like appealed to me as an idea. Anyway, long story short, I was in China for a long time. I ended up working in carbon trading, um, which was mental. And, you know, that's a whole other podcast. And And then I got married, met my husband in China, and we left China. We went to Singapore, and I really sort of fell through the gaps in China, in Singapore. Um, I didn't. I didn't fit into the kind of, um, I guess, the sort of more top box sticking approach to how. <laughs> very different. Very different. Yeah. Ooh. I was a bit. I was a bit. Uh, I was a bit lost in Singapore. I won't lie. And um, I ended up working again, totally, kind of randomly and without much of a strategy or a clear plan, working with small businesses. That were small, sustainable consumer goods businesses and brands that were set up by really interesting founders who had a passion and a craft and had seen, you know, for example, this really cool company that made shoes and they make the soles of the shoes from repurposed moped tires or motorcycle tires in Indonesia. So taking all this landfill waste and then converting them into shoes. And all these really incredible clothes that were made with women's courses in India. Like just it, they were cool businesses and they were started by really interesting people. And I realized really early doors that the most successful businesses and the ones that I was I personally was most attracted to were the ones that the founder had a craft and something they were really passionate about. And then the business kind of grew organically and naturally off the back of that. And um and I just thought, I haven't got a craft. And people were saying to me, but you speak Chinese. And I was like, Yeah, but I don't want to be a translator, that's kind of I'm not, I don't speak Chinese that well and um and that wasn't sort of that didn't appeal um and I but it was sort of lodged itself in the back of my mind if you haven't got a craft and if you want to do something like your own business and, and, and something creative in that way you need to hone a craft you need to do something like that and that sort of was in the back of my mind and then we moved back to the UK I was pregnant with twins and um my it's a really long-winded story is how I got into flourishing but bear with me at a spot point and um and then we got got back to um the UK we lived in Edinburgh had my twins and my mum bless her who I've been I've been out of the country for 12 months 12 years and um, I think she was quite excited to have grandchildren and to have her daughter back in the UK so she came up every week for three months from Monday to Thursday to be with me and the twins because I didn't know what I was doing obviously and um, and at the end of three months I wanted to give her a gift so I went on this really lovely local florist website to give my mum a workshop and there on the website was this professional training course and you know honestly it just not it just was in front of me and I was like that's what I want to do that is I'm, that I so I turned around to Andy and I was like I want I want to invest in this course <laughs> he's like uh, okay you're mad um and that was it I just think these things come into your path um and I just I you know I lived in Singapore which doesn't really have seasons and I was feeling I really needed to reconnect to like the idea of four seasons again um and yeah it just that sort of ended up doing this this course and that was it completely got bitten by the bug and uh and wild stems was born wow (laughs) wild stems what year was that Uh, well so I trained in 2015 I literally so I had I started when my twins were three months old and I did one weekend a month for six months um which was also great for like a mental well-being perspective because um my mother-in-law came up on those weekends and she and my husband looked after the twins and then I got this thing that was, you know, not babies and was just so creative and so beautiful and so, you know, meditative and all those things that kind of you need to create some balance in your brain. And, um, and I did that for six months and then, and then sort of, you know, kind of played around with flowers and basically ended up doing a friend's sister's wedding. a venue which I had no idea how good the venue was like I just you know turned up did the flowers and they were like oh we liked your we liked your flowers would you like to be on our recommended supplier list and like a complete idiot you know complete newbie novice no idea oh sure yeah okay uh quick print some business cards make a website like all those sorts of things Anyway, it had absolutely no concept that it actually is a very successful wedding venue and that by being a recommended supplier, I just automatically then suddenly started getting inquiries and I wasn't quite prepared. Like, I don't, yeah, you know. Anyway, of course, I responded and I was like, absolutely, I can do your wedding, brilliant. I've got a few babies here and there, but it's fine. I had a son, you know, <laughs> so my third child came along. But um, it was lovely because I could work my business. I sort of, my business grew and evolved around my kids and I took weddings on yeah. when I wanted to or when I was able to. And um, and it also, again, like the mental well-being thing, like it meant that I had something that was me, that was not just my children. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, it's kind of evolved like side by side alongside my kids and now they're all in school and and the itch to like, you know, properly get back into the business of things um, is, is sort of being allowed to be scratched. I've got a bit more time on my hands. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: The Small Business... Do reels get you reeling? Is SEO just a three letters put together? Content planning something you know you should be doing, but just never get round to it. Do join our growth club online. What is it? It's a supportive community. It's all about growing your business. It provides trainings and guest speakers join us every month. Is it time to work on your business and not in it? The link for more information is in the show notes. I could just, I've got visions of you and the mother in law arriving with bags full of stuff, food, and all sorts of and you jumping in your car, getting in your car, getting down that road yeah it's my time I've just got a yeah. vision to be around. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah I honestly I was so here for my children like I you know they were hard for they took a long time to come for me and um so I was such a present mum but yeah on those weekends I was really I was somewhere else and it was it was lovely yeah
0: <laughs> I, I get that bit I really get that bit So, tell us about your current business and what inspires you now because you've wild stems but you're much more than wild stems what what you currently do yeah now. well so
1: um wild stems is kind of like a an event florist, um a studio florist, I guess that's what people call them these days and um and I realized really early doors that I wanted to work with British flowers I mean that aligns with kind of the, the sustainability angle of um of kind of, like of my values and then um and it, it sort of I realized a couple of things I saw. Having worked with locally grown flowers for a few years, and I'd bitten the bullet quite early on and said I am never going to import anything. Um, and that took me quite a long time to feel brave enough to do. There was that kind of you know the anxiety piece of like, oh, I'm just still going to import some flowers. And um, what if
0: you to do a wedding on January the 5th Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
1: you just sort of think that that's how it's got to be. And so that took me a long time. And then I realised that actually there were probably other people that felt like that. Um, but I also was watching the British cut flower industry and sort of observing like that and thinking about how that would grow. And um I realized that actually I think that the florists are a bit of a linchpin within the industry to really um a promote more sustainable practices from consumers' perspectives, but actually also really promote the cut flower industry. And and I thought that there was a really interesting sort of way to leapfrog kind of I guess a more unsustainable path for most florists you should be literally grabbing them at the start and saying right this is how we do things we only work with sustainable mechanics you don't need to go down the kind of oasis route and 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 all those sorts of things because you don't need to um but also this is how you work seasonally and sustainably and only with british flowers and british flowers do need a little bit of Hair. They treat. They need to be treated differently, and I think the problem that's holding a lot of the the British cut flower industry back is that florists don't understand that. When you get taught with imported flowers, you can be quite rough with them. You know, they've been sprayed within an inch of their life, and that means that um, it's not really well, exactly. Soldiers, I mean, which they is why they're horrific. Sorry, they've just got no soul. They've got no. They're not alive. They've got no movement, and scent, and like energy. Like yeah, I, I you know, they're just completely different beasts. And um, but I think that the problem is, is that florists then think they can treat them in the same way. They can't. Then they don't really sort of perform in the same way. And then they think, well, I'm not going to do that. What a waste of money. I can't use that. I have to use imported flowers. And I thought, well, it's not true. You just need to approach it slightly differently. Well, how about we actually treat, teach florists how to do that? So. um, So, yeah, I set up a school of sustainable floristry um, in partnership with uh, a flower farmer in Bedford, um, who's quite local to me you. and um and yeah we decided to launch this program really sort of around um teaching florists how to work seasonally and sustainably all year round um but also sustainable kind of being a sustainable florist both sort of from an environmental and social perspective but also from a financial perspective because you know if you can't exist financially then you haven't got a business either um and that was another piece of floristry training that i just think is missing that you know people are taught how to arrange flowers and no one's actually taught how to how to like be a florist on the financial money you know the business side of things so that's what we do so yeah it is um the season-led sustainable florist program was our flagship program which we launched last year and we run it through the four seasons because there are obviously you know the flowers change within the seasons Um, within the seasons, but also what what you have to be aware of and how you handle the flowers and how you design as a florist does also change within the four seasons. Um, So it's one over six days. You come on the first season and it's a rolling intake, so you can start in spring, summer or autumn. Um, And you come for those first three days, we cover all the kind of fundamentals. And then you come back for another day in each of the following seasons to kind of work again Refresh the skills and also work with the the flowers as they present themselves in that season. And then we also run a winter one as well. But I didn't think anyone wanted to start in the winter. You know, might not be quite as fun.
0: Honestly, having a look at it, sounds fantastic. (laughs) I mean, obviously, I'm a flower farmer and a florist. Oh yeah, you can. Brilliant. It's like (laughs) you're you're running and getting in your car and running away from your children. For me, that would be getting in my car and running away from life, like general. thing You do here. I'm coming to do something else. Yeah. So, oh, you know where you're just very. You know, and I can really understand why. People yeah, are doing absolutely.
1: It. And you know, we have. It's really interesting, actually. We have such different um, people that come to the course. So there's a lot of people that are look. Like, I really want to be a florist, but I haven't yet. You know, taken the leap. That that's great because then you're kind of getting in before they're learning any of the, the bad skills that are taught within the industry. Um, but also, we have experienced florists who perhaps want to bring in. Um, more sustainable practices, or just bring in more British flowers into their work, um, and then and yeah, and then we have people who just do it because they they love flowers and they grow their own flowers and they want to kind of use them, and they're not necessarily wanting to go into a career, but they actually just they can't. It, I mean, it's in the most incredible setting. Um, yes, I agree. You know, that was a strategic decision on my part as well, <laughs> because who wouldn't want to go? And cut flowers in this incredible 18th century walled garden and, and, you know, gather things up from the estate and then, you know, get to arrange in this beautiful, beautiful country house. Um, and we, you know, everything, the, there's like, it's the whole ethos as well. So, you know, all the food that we eat is, is made from what, what's growing in the kitchen garden. Um, sorry. And the venue, obviously, I should say properly, is um, at Halbury Farm Flowers, which is run by um, a lady called Lucy who uh,
0: runs her flower farm in this this incredible setting, yeah. Absolutely fab. And um, I haven't met Lucy either, but that's on my agenda for the next couple (laughs) of months. Um, Lucy and I, um, Lucy helps me out and I help her out. Um, As flower farmers, you have to collaborate, otherwise forget it. You know, this industry requires collaboration. Um, You haven't always got everything you need, all the time you need it. So I needed... um, why did I need 50 alliums on Sunday? And I didn't have 50 alliums I wanted on Sunday. So Lucy went out and cut them on Saturday night, wrapped them for me. And, and conditioned out, them. them at, at six, <laughs> and conditioned them. And picked them up on Sunday morning oh, at 6 a.m. And that's me. I kind of need that. Um, well, I haven't got that. Have you got that? You know, if somebody rang me today and said, you know, I need loads of sweet rocket or I need black ball cornflowers i've got Who ones but i haven't got black well have you got any i'd go yeah i've got loads or have you got any queen of Sweden? yeah i could give you a hundred what have you got so it's kind of like um without collaboration you haven't got anything. massively
1: and i think you know I, I really like that about the industry i think a lot of people come into our industry with this um sort of like really collaborative mindset there's not that scarcity mindset of like oh this is my system and these i'm not going to tell anyone these are, you know i think everybody actually Maybe, maybe it's because it's a more female-led industry. I don't know. But um, it is a much more open. People are just much more willing to support each other. And what, what great industries work working.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. So it's a weird industry if you think about it. It's one of those industries I was talking to my husband about. It's one of those industries that you put everything in the ground. You make all this investment. You've got all these tunnels and greenhouses if you're going on scale. And you haven't sold anything yet then it must be one of the only industries at which you put all this in with the hope of something happening in the future. And you must believe that's going to happen. And you obviously got a strategy for it to happen. But there aren't many industries that would go, oh, let's do all this and we'll just sit and wait. And we'll be, if the weather's good, it will happen. If the weather's not, that won't happen. And our backup plan is ABC. Um, And always having a backup plan, that's why it's collaborative. You know, if... If anyone, to, anyone wanted 33,000 tulips in April, they were more than welcome to them. And we call it tulip gate here at this house um, because it was real tulip gate. So it's like, you have 33,000 tulips. Oh my goodness, how are you going to get rid of the 33,000 tulips? Because you've worked out the cost per tulip. So if you haven't got collaboration with anything, I don't think so.
1: And I think, you, and I think you know, thing? working as a season-led florist in this space, you know, again, like I'm, I am, my flowers are only as good as my suppliers. But um, I think it's like the food industry as well, you know, from, from the floristry perspective, like, you know, the best chefs have worked out that they need to go straight to their farm, their farmer, and they get incredible food and they have, and I think it's really interesting about like what's happened in the world sort of um, on a supply chain level. And I think that what's happening in floristry is kind of, um, is reflecting those changes in other spaces so you know the, the sort of supply chains just got really long and really sort of um uh, what's the word uh, no one knows who's where and where things have come from anonymous that's what I'm and um and global Whereas, then in the food industry, what's starting to happen is that people have sort of gone, oh, hang on, I don't actually, I'm not sure that that's what I want. I want actually to know exactly the provenance of the food that I'm eating or that I'm going to use in my restaurant. And I'm going to shorten my supply chain massively down. And I'm going to build really close relationships with those farmers to provide incredible food for like my incredible restaurant in London or wherever it is. And I think it's the same in forestry. And I think actually what we're starting to see amongst, particularly kind of the season led forests, of which there's a growing number. they've they've realized that and that the the supply chain that long anonymous supply chain just doesn't fit with their values because they want to know the people that are growing their flowers are being well treated and they want to know what's on their flowers and that the land is being well looked after and they also they really want quality and you know when I speak to my growers about a wedding like they plant for me based on my color palettes or you know they will bend over backwards to make sure that I've got what I need when I need it if I have a big wedding and I just think you know That relationship with your supplier is is so important and has a massive value and uh, I think people haven't thought maybe more widespread that hasn't sort of been understood. Stay with us we'll be right back.
0: The new Plants of Distinction Autumn Catalogue is now available and contains over a thousand different flower and vegetable seeds with over 150 new and exciting varieties added this year alone. Cut flowers in an extensive array of individual colours are a speciality, and added to this are many unusual annual and perennial seeds, together with the hard to find heritage favourites. So if you're looking for something a little different, be it choice cutting flowers, suitable for both fresh and dried arrangements, or cottage garden and container growing varieties, you need look no further. You can download or request a copy of the new autumn catalogue by visiting the website, plantsofdistinction.co.uk, where an exclusive 30% discount is available to all podcast listeners when ordering seeds by using the discount code CUTFLOWER30. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we'll come on to it later, but I mean, there are some obviously issues with the supply chain. And there's some issues with the whole labelling of flowers in supermarkets, so people can't make an educated choice about what they buy and don't buy. So the whole industry needs a complete shake-up. So um, if I don't leave anything else, I need to see Yeah, that and that's why
1: I think, that's again, that's a kind of going back to why I think the florists are such an important kind of middle kind of linchpin within that, because people go to their florists for flowers. I mean, I know supermarket flowers is a huge kind of part of the industry now. But people do still go to their florists for flowers. And at that point, you as a florist have a, have a really sort of important ability to say, well, oh, actually, we're, you know, this is the reason we're going to do this. You have the ability to educate your customer and to say no to them for a certain, you know, not just like an outright no, but well, you know, we don't do things that way because of this. And have you thought about that? And most times people go, oh, i would never even thought of that. Oh, okay, sure. And, and, and they take your recommendation because you're the expert. And um, and I, so I think that there's a real role for kind of consumer awareness and education that, that the florists can play, which, again, I'm not sure that, that florists are sort of, um, as an industry group, have, have realised the power that we hold in that regard.
0: I mean, at floristry school still, we're on floral foam, 100 percent. And there's no such thing as biodegradable floral foam. But um, yeah, what's your thoughts? I mean, I think that people don't understand floral foam. I think that's a big thing. And how we are still allowed to use it and how it is still manufactured still defies all logic to me. And I'm not quite sure why we haven't found alternatives to it. You know, what what the big thing, why we can still have letters for funerals um, which are still made out of floral foam. Why is that still allowed to happen?
1: Yeah, yeah agreed well it's you know big business and uh and I think and I think also is people are just frightened aren't they people are, are people are always frightened of making change and frightened I think you know a lot of florists when you're taught in that way you, I mean even when I started floristry and I obviously was taught with like really traditional flowers and I, and I was taught with the as well I realized quite quickly that I just absolutely didn't want to use the so I, I kind of I didn't feel that I needed permission for that But for example, I use weeds a lot in in my arranging. I think they're amazing. I love them. I, I find if I don't, things look a little bit too pretty and I need to rough them up. And it took me a long time to sort of give myself permission to use different materials and to understand that that was actually okay and that there wasn't a rule about what you could and couldn't use within floristry. And I think that when you've been taught something in your floristry school, you're taught that that's how it's got to be. And so you then kind of go but that's how it's got to be and and then you're frightened of of not giving a product that is, is good enough so you don't want to take the risk that you know moss might not work as well as foam or or what have you and I, and I think yeah I think it's confidence but again that was this also sort of a, a lot of the reason why I went back to set, to set up the school because I just couldn't believe I I I genuinely yeah. was just gobsmacked that that it, that, it yeah, that no one had done it yet, and like I kind of joked with Lucy that I you know our business is obsolete in the future, and that's the objective that we almost want our business not to exist in the future because it doesn't need to be the school of sustainable floristry. Just that's how floristry is taught, um, but obviously you know that's a long there's a, there's a yeah, long long exactly. runway for that, <laughs> but um, yeah. but yeah, floral foam you know. It, and you work you exist in this kind of echo chamber, I think, when when you work within the sustainable flower world, you you think that everybody is like realised that you shouldn't use full foam and that um and that there are a million different ways of doing things that and that work just as well from a performance perspective for delivering flowers. Um and then and then you suddenly, you know, you watch something like what was it, Billionaire Blooms on TV recently, and you're like, oh I know. Oh my god, people don't. Like I can't believe it. Why would you why would you need to use foam? Um But yeah, yeah, I just think it's confidence and training. So yeah, the school was very much set up to basically leapfrog, um, kind of to get in there early and and, and stop people going down. Um, One of the florists that um, Lucy speaks to says it's like smoking. Oasis is like smoking. And um, it's like an addiction. And and, and it's very difficult to give up once you've started because it's like a comfort blanket. So if we can actually teach people not to smoke or, or use foam in the first place, it's a lot easier because people then go, yeah, absolutely, I've never used it. Why would I, why would I use that?
0: I think it's an understanding. I, I think when you say to people, I say to people, well, no, we don't use it because it doesn't degrade at all in the environment. And they what, what what, not at all? I went, no, never. Not in your lifetime, not in your children's lifetime. That is not degrading in the environment. I think, like you, I kind of happened on this whole creative farming thing by complete accident. You know, I was one of those people who I did an environmental chemistry degree because I wanted to be a doctor and I wasn't clever enough. So I had these three three A-levels. I thought, like, oh, of course, oh, yeah. that one looks nice. You get out in the, the moors, that one looks nice, so I'll do that one. Didn't even know what the word environment meant, but it meant I could go and live away for three years. So that was fine. And I mean, my little 850 Mini down the M5 That was to the seaside, <laughs> that was more than enough. So, three years of environment, I came out of that thinking, and then I went and did something completely different in marketing, actually, completely wild for years and years, and came back round again to sort of think, hmm, quite like I went on a half day course, to learn about a couple of hours, thought, oh, that sounds interesting. What if I could do that? And it kind of happened a bit. So, that's the dangerous bit. You do a course and look what happens. Well, you, what you a great job.
1: Let's come on. I mean, I love it. Oh, because, I know. And the reason I love it so much is that no two days look the same I get to when I run my own business I get to use all the kind of business bits um that you know you might get in a proper job um but I then also get all the fun like creative aspects of it as well I absolutely am not afraid to get my hands dirty I love rolling up my sleeves washing out buckets and maybe not as often as I should but you know like I do (laughs) I I love that I love it being really varied the thought of going back to a regular nine to five now oh I don't think I ever could I'm unemployed. Yeah, I'm unemployed now. <laughs>
0: yeah. I've accepted that. If I, if I had a job in an office and every ten minutes I needed to get up and go and walk outside, I'm not quite sure they'd really go yeah. for that. I, yeah. Um. No. And also, I'd have to look at the state of those nails. I'd. I'd have to. I'd have to get my nails done. So the answer to that is no. I was going to ask you what does a, a day look like. But I don't know if it does. No. What does an average day look
1: like? Um. Yeah. No. Honestly, n- no two days look the same. Um. And I kind of tend to actually, and and I and I this is sort of part of what I teach the florists that that come onto the program is that um you need to look at your year and at your um at your business and at everything that you do holistically, and you need to approach everything from from it, from the kind of looking at it from a whole year, uh, rather than day-to-day month yeah. month because you know when you are a seasoned florist obviously you're working with british flowers which have a, a summer season you know in the um yeah. so things tend to go quieter in the winter um and that therefore you know it's not oh like okay, i've got to make revenue of x amount every month because some months are going to be leaner than others and mm-hmm. that you then you know you look at your whole year so you know your fat year your fat months will carry your thin months sort of thing and um and I thought I suppose yeah so my days none of my days look the same I look at my life sort of more holistically um but you know I have busier months and I have quieter months and within each week I have kind of busier days and quieter days I try and kind of have a day that is in the studio um where I get to kind of practice just for myself um because it is a yeah. discipline you know it's a creative discipline for a reason you've got to be disciplined about your practice i, I, I again i just i bang on about that all the time but um you always learning. you've always got to learn you've always got to kind of um, improve your skills invest in yourself and that is and and also invest in in yourself so for me spending some time quietly in the studio is as much an investment in myself and my balance as it is in, in my business and my creativity and my product Definitely.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always equate being a flower farmer and a florist to something like a deck chair, someone who rents a deck chair on the beach. Okay. You've kind of got this moment of opportunity <laughs> between, you know, April 1 and the end of October going into November and December if you're covering Christmas. But there are some really quiet months. January and February are really bad, unless you're forcing tulips, but that's a whole different podcast. But January and February is a really hard time. And therefore, you've got to, to work it out. So you've got to get it to, well, okay, if I need to make £10,000 a month in my business, I need to sell roughly 10,000 stems. Have I grown 10,000 stems? Have I got a market for 10,000 stems? If I haven't, I'm not going to make £100,000 a year. This is sort of the equation. But because if you don't grow enough, you haven't got enough to sell. And if you haven't got a market to sell it to, and I think that's going back to, Okay how do we do this? How do we I mean that's why I've told the team we have a team meeting today and we sit down over a cup of tea and a biscuit and outside the polytunnel and we work out how we're going to grow 10,000 stems and how we're going to sell 10,000 stems because that's basically you know we start with that. And I think in um, this
1: space I think both in cut in the sort of cut flower industry and in the floristry space you know people kind of come into it for the love of flowers and they they sort of they gravitate towards it because of the creative passion and the love of growing um and often don't then come with the with the kind of commerciality um or aren't approach- approaching it in in thinking in that way and I think and I, I mean I think that's a that's kind of the biggest risk to success right of your business because you can get into something because you love it so much and and I was guilty of this when I started I was like, oh my God I'm gonna do a wedding for nothing because I love it I just want to do a wedding and I think it's until you've done like you know it's maybe slightly different for a hours, but until you've done a, a massive floristry job and you get to the end of it and you are absolutely shattered and then you think oh, i did not get paid enough for that you know like it, it loses its luster so it's fine sort of the first couple of times and then you're suddenly like no hang on a minute i need to get paid properly for this because i'm exhausted that took so you got so much out of me and i i don't feel that that was a fair transaction and i think that maybe everybody needs to go through that tipping point but i'm I guess, kind of, you know, hopefully that by me banging on about it a bit more, people kind of get up that learning curve a bit faster. Um, because you burn yeah,
0: out. Definitely, don't do too much like portfolio if, building. Yeah, I've heard so much about it. I need it for yeah. my portfolio, and, no and you then don't. you
1: burn out ultimately, and then and then you leave. And you know, I've seen countless forests walk out of the industry because they're knackered and burnt out and didn't get didn't actually sort of get that side of it right, um, which is a tragedy. Really, because then you've burnt your passion, and 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 I think it's really important to kind of be able to marry both.
0: Absolutely. So, tell our listeners we've both got thoughts on the British cut flower industry. What needs to change? You know, moving forward, of course, we need to be more sustainable. Of course, there needs to be massive amounts of education. For me, there needs to be labelling of flowers in supermarkets so people make make a choice. They make a choice at the moment; they have no choice. They have not an educated choice because they do not know. So that's a big thing, kind of on my agenda. So lots of education, training, commerciality, marketing, supply chain. (laughs) So carry
1: on? It sounds really sort of inbrenountable, no?
0: (laughs) I I went to the US last year with another flower farmer from the UK to the American Conference of the American Cut Flower Speciality Conference. It's another world, but it was absolutely educational. And that's also it about investing in yourself and going to learn, isn't it? and they have much more about collaboration so their job is to to get cut flowers in the hands of florists and the only way we're going to do that is if it's easy because at the moment a florist will go on a website to a dutch wholesaler order it will arrive on wednesday i'll order 20 of those 30 of those here's my card gone easy peasy at the moment, with cut flowers and flower farmers. They've got to travel in their car all over the place. Let's call it Bedfordshire and into my land, probably to four or five different flower farms to get exactly what they want to get. So I'm going to buy 100 cornflowers over there and 20 David Austin roses over there and 50 alliums over there. And they're really good at being this, so I'm going to get theirs from there. And it's taken them a whole day. Now, they've got the most amazing array of flowers, but it's taken a whole day out of their time when actually they could have sat on their computer just logging in and buying them so until we crack that and certainly for london florists until we crack this now you don't have to buy it all from covent market you can, you can go online and buy it all and we can supply it from a distribution hub um i believe that's the way forward in order for florists to even begin to use lots and lots of british flowers
1: yeah um yeah, I'm really in two minds about this. I, I totally agree. I think that like it is important to 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 make it frictionless and easy for the customer. Um, but then I I do wonder like are all are the British flowers? It, it, it needs to be super easy, and um, it needs to ensure minimal movement of the flowers. I think as well because the more that the flowers get moved around and transported in hot cars, you know, the more they transpire, the less they live like they cut last long in the bars, um, So it does need to be extremely well facilitated. I think from that perspective of the farmers understanding, I think there needs to be a lot of training amongst flower farmers around cutting the point at which you cut in a flower. You know, I you know, I, I still see this from, from farmers that I buy from that cutting at the wrong time. I get them that I can't use. I think that there's a real, again, people are being taught how to grow. <laughs> but people aren't being taught what to do with the flowers once they've been grown. (laughs) Is that right? Is that even right English? I don't know. Um, But like that idea of like, okay, now you've got a field full of flowers. At what point do you cut them? How do you then condition them? How do you ensure that when you hand that product over to your customer, that their vase life is going to be the best? Um, I think, so there's a bit. And then also from the, from the florist perspective of like, right, now you've got those flowers. How do you then condition them again? and Make sure that you're going to get the best bars life I think that, that that is a piece that is missing in in anybody's training not in our training obviously but um, <laughs> at the school we definitely cover the conditioning side of it to to an inch of its life um but I think in in flower farming training i, I i'm not I, I haven't seen as much of that um and then anyone that then runs that hub they've got a lot of responsibility um around the, the, the storing and looking after those flowers i think also um, getting getting the quality of flowers up to, to the to the standard is, is uh, so if you've got your flowers in a hub and they're alongside somebody whose quality isn't as good as yours I don't know that as the florist I just come and buy you know so again there's I think that idea of like elevating uh, creating almost some sort of like standard within the cut flower industry of of grading of quality I think is is possibly um, a really important thing that we need to do um and then I think, but also I do sort of think that there is, um, it's just all a bit lazy. Do you know what I mean? And I think that maybe in some way, like we as florists have got to be a bit less lazy and, and, and as customers have got to be a bit less lazy and sort of actually not expect the world to just operate on a kind of next day delivery basis. And that actually the best things do take a little bit of effort and do take um, a little bit of time to get, and they're worth paying for and and so you know I factor into my my uh wedding plan and my costings that I will take time in fact I'm going to get off this call and I'm going to go and get in my car and I'm gathering up flowers for a wedding and a funeral um and and that is just part of my day and I listen to podcasts and you know like just kind of call friends and do all those things in the car that I can't do otherwise but um yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do think that there is definitely a hub spoke model is something that needs to happen. I think that there's sort of other pieces that need to happen around quality and um, sort of cutting and things like that in advance. Yeah, um, yeah. well, I'll let you know when
0: I've investigated yeah, it. Yeah, please do. Excellent.
1: Because <laughs> I think it's a technology
0: piece, which is the bit I'm yeah. okay with. And it's a big marketing bit, which is actually yeah. fine because that's my background. So the marketing and the technology and I wanted to put the hub together is part of the picture investment house is yeah. another part and getting PE investment is another part of it because actually it will take That's some good. investment and then the third thing is okay well let's test it let's have a model that tests it with five or six flower farmers and see how this works because you're going to have yeah. to do it regionally but like you say how are you going to get the flowers in the hands of the right people and the chain isn't too long because then we're not we're, we're building our old yeah. supply chain which actually never really wanted that you just wanted to be really short
1: Can I tell you what, um, can I tell you what, um, my genius idea, if anyone's listening and wants to take this on, um, if you want to get flower farmers, this I mean it might not work, but I think it's really clever and I think it would, if you want to get your locally grown cut flowers direct to your customer, put them on a milk float and your milkman delivers your milk and your fresh flowers because they can have them in water on the back of the milk float, they're going door to door and then they can just say they only come on a Friday, you know, like or whatever, my milk gets delivered here on a Monday and a Thursday so I could you know, have my cut flowers for the weekend delivered on a Thursday. And that would be amazing. But, um, I mean, that's, that's a different business. But um, I feel like there are sort of some um, infrastructure uh, chains that exist that might be interesting yes. to piggyback on yes. um, rather than trying to reinvent the wheel. But, um, yeah, that is. Yeah. I mean, look at the delivery
0: model. Look at the whole kind of getting it into the hands of the customer model. So it's like it's almost like could Amazon deliver British cut flowers in a way? Um, because that would definitely get it in the hands of the consumer. That kind of like, I mean, I've got a little Morris Minor. Well, actually, it's not mine. That, do you know I've got a little Morris Minor? Wasn't really. I've got a really monos minor oh, right. My husband's got a really good nice <laughs> Morris, which I he's had renovated, which is lovely. And my idea was to fill the whole Morris Minor with British cut flowers on a Friday, just drive yeah. around the little, like almost like an ice cream van with a bell and go. Do you want my cut flowers? And park up along the way and say, Do you want them? Come and choose your your bouquet for this weekend and it's kind of like yeah you've got all these ideas and it's about how can we get it in the hands
1: of the mm, consumer quicker yeah totally um but also knowing who your customer is uh, i think that's i think that's a a, an, a challenge for our industry and, and sort of um for a lot of the flower farmers personally i actually think yeah. that I mean, maybe it's just for, for wild stems and like kind of my audience but i actually think that the audience isn't um kind of like the older wealthier clientele which people perhaps sometimes think it might be I actually think it's the younger creative classes out of like the cities who understand kind of the value of of why we do what we do and understand the value of the creative sort of component within that and the artisanal um, value and and that they're kind of like the you know they're the change makers they're the sort of early movers and they're the ones that go and eat in the kind of restaurants that share their values in that respect. And actually the flowers kind of is the next sort of the next dot in that line. Um yes. and, and actually I think that then it, it it's then for the flower farmers and, and florists and whoever to be thinking, okay, well, how do I reach them? Because I think traditionally it's been sort of more down the RHS sort of um, you know, gardening line. And and I don't think I personally don't think that that's our audience. I think they they, they've got their flowers in their garden and because they and because they've got their flowers in their garden they actually don't perceive the value because they're like oh well I can I've got that grain in my garden why am I paying you you know a pound of stem for that whereas so so they they, they're degrading the value almost in in that it doesn't exist like what you mean you've got up and you know invested in digging a trench and mulching and you know weed membrane and you know, getting out there and cutting at five in the morning. And then, you know, that none of that component sort of passes through their consciousness. Whereas I think actually the younger sort of um, generation is more aware of that sort of thing, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, it took me a while to work. I had a number of different ideal customers and I call them names and I draw process boards of them and I work out where they are and what they're from a marketing point of view, of course. And I actually found my customer was not who I thought it was going to be. And they were um, generally younger and they live in Milton Keynes and they live in fairly new houses and they don't have massive gardens. So actually what they create is lots of flowers. So they have a passion for blooms, but they don't have acres of land. And therefore they want to buy flowers and be surrounded by flowers because that's not what they have in their natural environment and they want it. So it's very, dip where it was traditionally, I'd have thought it was, you know, if you look at the villages of the North Milkings, you'd think, oh, yeah, the wealth is there and they're much older and they're landed gentry. And, but actually they're not because they've got their own gardens and goes back to, well, why would I pay that for that when actually I grew out in my own garden? So there is about a bit about getting that ideal customer right, for sure. Um, so I will be driving on Fridays, through the really, through the, through the whole of Milton Keynes, ringing my, my little and trying to stuff flowers. My right, population's there. Two hundred fifty thousand people are sitting there waiting for British flowers. So, um, don't, don't do it right in, be Don't do it right in, in the middle of summer.
1: summer yeah. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This
0: podcast episode is sponsored by First Tunnels leaders in domestic and commercial polytunnels. A polytunnel is an amazing protective environment for plants, vegetables and flowers, extending any growing season. And whether you're growing for pleasure or commercially, whether you go for a small or a large tunnel, you can be assured of the same high quality product from First Tunnels Polytunnels. I personally have three of their polytunnels, two of them I've had for over 10 years, and I highly recommend First Tunnels Polytunnels for their product and also for their great customer service, which is second to none. Do pop over to their website and take a look at their range: www.firsttunnels.co.uk. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what do you think
1: about a hot? I do. I mean I think that that's you I know think... that whole the whole climate change question around like the future of the industry and um and even like floristry you know I'm changing my designs actually as for weddings and things to factor in the heat and 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 like how am I going to is that you know am I, if I'm going to make an arch in the middle of July and it gets up to 40 okay. degrees hang on a minute I need to actually fundamentally go back and think about how I how I design that and what I use in it um and do I actually use cut flowers? So I'm, you know, I'm going back to the design board, as it were, for a lot of my bigger designs and and yeah. Again. Things we taught, we teach on our course. <laughs> yeah, I mean the first thing I saw that
0: I really loved, made of dried flowers, was in the flower farmer's tent at um was Hampton Court last year. And it was bit. It was an enormous installation. It was all done with dried flowers. And it was actually beautiful, really beautiful. Because I think dried flowers can be beautiful, but can be really awful too. But the, this was so well done that like I thought, yeah, I could have that. That looks lovely. I can do that. Um, and it's about, you're right. I mean, doing an arch in July and 40 degrees. You know, last year we were going to do the foliage on one day, going back, replacing some of it and putting the flowers in like an hour before the wedding. So if that's what you've got to do, you've kind of got to, plan for that you know and foliage and flowerings in a marquee were overnight where the humidity is huge so you've got to go back and do it that day well you've got got to be able to have the resource to do that um i think yeah it is quite frightening what's going to happen and when they're talking we're going to have a hot july Mm. and august again this year So
1: it's like uh, no no and also what you grow i mean you know the 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 need to invest in perennials the kind of um because they've got their like their roots down and they can kind of draw on deeper water sources in drought and stuff like I think that's you know that's a whole other um piece which, which yeah. is again from a flower farming perspective it's an enormous investment you know the time like the length of time for those plants and those shrubs to get their their legs down um is massive so yeah but you know I, I I do think that that's an investment that, that the industry needs to be making now because I think it's going to have to happen
0: and don't talk about foliage oh <laughs> don't talk about the investment <laughs> because you need to yeah absolutely
1: year. but again i mean that you know lucy and i talk about this all the time um i have long lists of like plants and foliage and things saying i think we need to get this in the ground for um for the school you know because as, as the numbers increase on the courses that we're teaching you know we need to make sure we've got the supply of flowers and foliage to, to meet the class demand yeah so.
0: <laughs> So you talked about podcasts that you listen to and books that you read. Any <laughs> any ones that you'd recommend besides obviously the cut flower podcast? Obviously, saying, but
1: are there any? Um, other- do you know what? I'm really bad. I should say that I listen to like really. I, I you know I spend all my time reading and uh, listening to things related to flower farming and flower streets. No, I don't. <laughs> I actually maybe no. maybe it's like no. a balanced thing because um, I literally spend all my time thinking about. Um, forestry and, and things. Uh, so I currently on podcasts, I um I love listening to British Scandal. Um I'm completely obsessed with it. And um so is my son. And we we he's he's only little, but we listen to the um the Great Train Robbery and the Hatton Gardens um ones. I mean he hasn't listened to all of them because some of them are highly inappropriate. But um he's completely obsessed. I'm slightly concerned that I'm cultivating a future bank robber either that or an excellent detective um because he's totally obsessed he makes me look up what Bonnie Biggs looks like on the internet because he wants to know who the great train robber was um yeah so but I love it it's brilliant it was a good it, you have to admit that was a good and gardens, yeah I mean it's ripping yarns but um yeah they're, they're fascinating I quite enjoy listening to that and um I do also sort of listen to um my husband works in tech, so he's always like, oh, I listen to this business, um, you know, podcast and what have you. So I do quite like listening to the odd one, like Diary of the CEO. I think there's some quite interesting people in there. Yeah, I,
0: I like the Diary um, of the CEO. Yeah, I was introduced to one this weekend by my daughter, actually. And it was one about, and they invited guest speakers on to talk about what their ideal four course meal would be. Can't remember. It's called. To, I'll have to look it up and put it in here. It was absolutely brilliant and it was really funny. And the episode we listened to was we had Joe Brand, who her meal was just <laughs> awful because a she can't cook and b she's like it. And the other one was Nadia Hussein, oh, I bet that, Hers that was, was yeah. fantastic. She was,
1: she was so funny. She was and hilarious. She seems like without the even nice nicest woman, doesn't she? Yeah, you'd want her to be your
0: friend, I think. I have to introduce you to. Her. I'm addicted. So it's it's. And it's two sort of like comedians host it up and they yeah. just the thing yeah. is funny and it's brilliant and we were just listening I thought god I've got I'm obsessed I've got to listen to more of this but Nadia Hussain her little secret was she doesn't drink she likes water but she doesn't drink cold water or warm water she always has tepid water and then there was this big conversation about well how do you get tepid water well you have to have boiling water and then you have cold water and then you make I mean the whole thing's stupid but it was um I had to tell you who that one was that was yeah. really good. But I do listen to podcasts. that just yeah,
1: It's balance, isn't it? You know, you can spend your whole time like thinking about these things. You don't end up sleeping because all you're doing is thinking about work. Um, so, yeah, a nice light relief. I woke up
0: thinking I've got to trim the tulip oh. heads off. You know, I thought, what am I doing? I've got the first thought that comes into yeah. my mind is I need to stream the tulip yeah. heads off otherwise they're going to go to Sweden. i'm not going to get them back and it's like what are yeah. you doing i know
1: so yeah balance is important Match. there you go listen to some really um funny podcasts i totally high value definitely definitely so any thoughts on
0: future plans obviously school of sustainability it's going to be massive and loads oh of people i going hope go. so and we're all... so any thoughts future plans what's the rest of the year next year look like for you
1: yeah, just more of the same, more of the same. I just, you know, I'm really lucky that my floristry business has got to the stage where I can really pick and choose on kind of the weddings that I want that I want to do. And, um, yeah. and so, I, you know, I just get to do really beautiful weddings for really nice people and they totally get my values and they understand that I don't um, import and things. Um, so that's really cool. So I love it. I love doing that. I think that's really, you know, that creative side, I don't want to get rid of that. I love it um And yeah, and just the school. And, you know, maybe sort of standing on my soapbox a bit more about, you know, things that need to happen within the industry and raising awareness around um led floristry. Might do a bit more of that. Might do a bit more shouting. Right, Too fancy. <laughs> like, oh, did I, even, I haven't even thought about that. Oh, I don't
0: you know. You self publish on Amazon too. I, I, I've done two, and it's tough, but you can do it. You yeah, could do maybe. it
1: the world need another book about flower arranging maybe maybe I'll think about an angle that um they need to think think in the flower industry yeah yeah I'll have a mull um but you know I also um I I really want to try and uh, maintain balance I want to be around my little kids while they still want me around (laughs) until the point until the point they're like you can go away now we've had enough of you. at which point you know I'll probably yeah exactly so um yeah endlessly trying to like not get totally sucked into work but the problem is that I love it and so it's actually what I want to be doing as well so yeah um but yeah just really sort of raising awareness about um the school and about um season of forestry I think is kind of the focus for the next 12 months and um I'm trying to grow sweet peas because you know what I am rubbish at growing sweet peas I don't, know what I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong and I thought I had done well, so well this year I was so chuffed and they've done nothing Are you watering them enough
0: are they in some direct sunshine are they attached to a fence are they growing up yeah.
1: but I do know why it's called I do know why it's I'll called a plant and- nursery because it is like raising children like you need to give that much attention to your seedlings and your plants and um so yeah maybe Maybe I'll just actually focus on the three I've got at home before I try and grow more.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Sissy, we will get. Oh, definitely. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: We'll meet, you. we'll meet you and Lucy at Halbury Farm. I've agreed um, that I will go over and meet I and mean, It's yeah. madness uh, because we get so self obsessed. And it's even worse when your children have fled the nest, as mine too have, and have their own careers in London, you can actually spend more time. So you can actually work oh, yeah. harder. That's not really, what, but that's the truth. You haven't got the other responsibilities, so it's like, well, I'll just yeah. work harder and I'll listen to more flowers and I'll read more and I'll grow more and I'll expand this business and I and and and. When actually,
1: sometimes the balance. Yeah, you is should a come thing. get into the into the studio and come and pass the flowers with
0: us. Ooh. Oh gosh, <laughs> yes, yeah, that would be really creative, wouldn't it? Be like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be good. Oh, brilliant. It's so lovely to talk to you. Well, lovely lovely to- Yeah, we could talk all day, yeah, not we? put in the show notes how to get to your sustainable floristry school, which is amazing. Um and also um we'll introduce Lucy. We'll get Lucy on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We'll and uh, and we um yeah, it's really nice to meet you and thank you very much for joining us today. Oh it's no, the pleasure's
1: all mine. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: I look forward to next week's episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate and review on your podcast app. We do have some wonderful free resources on our website at thecutflowercollective.co.uk. We also have two free Facebook communities, which we'd love you to join. For farmers or those who want to be flower farmers, we have Cut Flower Farming, Growth and Profit in Your Business, And our other free Facebook group is Learn with the Cut Flower Collective for those starting out on their flower journey. All of the links are below. I look forward to getting to know you all.